It is with no joy that I bring you this announcement today. Captain Gatso appears to have fallen. That's right. Captain Gatso is now has been made a martyr for the uh, South Essex uh, Revolutionary Cuds Brigade. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the government, the regime forces, the Bloc de Buscela has captured and compromised to a permanent end the, the heroic revolutionary insurgent known only as Captain Gatso. Wait, wait. So, so, so I've got some questions on this. Like, cause, so when he, was, when he was arrested, the message that came up in the group chat, which is now where I get all my news from, is, uh, <laughs> yeah. was that Captain Gatso had been taken down. But where, where did the idea that he's Captain Gatso... Because I'm not convinced that oh. he's Captain Gatso. Oh, Hussein, I can tell you exactly what happened, which is be, Captain Gatso is very dangerous, um, much like Jerry Adams. Mm-hmm. And so the BBC had to get the guy who played young Inspector Morse to play him. Right. The arrest okay. video. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the the words of Captain Gatso have been read by an actor, but in this case, the actor was Lawrence Fox. <laughs> uh, that's right. And like four van loads of cops I, have just showed up at I his house. I love that he shaved his own head in preparation for going to prison. Something that I don't think you have to do if you go to a British prison. Yeah, yeah. Laura, so if you if, if you're just if you're just joining us on this one, Lawrence Fox, right wing crank, one time actor. A uh, one-time like bag fumbler of Billy Piper, uh, and now sort of all-around right-wing crank, and sort of uh, I-, I think he ran for mayor of London and got like two percent of the vote. He- yeah, like anti-everything guy has been arrested by the woke Met police at the urging of Sadiq Khan in order for the simple to simple crime for the simple crime of c- c- telling other people to d- deface public property which i <laughs> guess allegedly because again like you just forget that the world isn't posts yeah yeah <laughs> and I, I it mean, does happen to the best of us so this is this is something that you can only really get on the right like you know when uh, sort of our beloved left wing cranks get arrested it generally doesn't come as a surprise to them/us whereas if you're on your, if you're on the right, you think, well, you know, this. I don't need to learn anything about sort of protesting or being at all clandestine. I'm just gonna get in a group chat with my boys and go, who up destroying ULES cameras, and then act surprised <laughs> that anyone else is reading that. Yeah. So anyway, we want, I want to introduce our guest for this episode. It is Captain Gatso. It's yeah, and he's here tonight. <laughs> it's it's Gareth, quote unquote, Captain Gatso, Dennis. Uh, what, how did it feel to be played by Lawrence Fox? Uh, I, I, for years, I've been hoping that Lawrence Fox would play me in my biopic. Yes, no, uh, hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be on for the second time in two weeks, of course, because I was on two weeks ago talking about Thurrock Council. So, um, uh, yeah, no, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be on. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, we're moving, we're transitioning towards an all Gareth model. <laughs> That's right. Um, and we are going, of course, going to be talking about the cancellation of uh, the one of the only British infrastructure projects of the last sort of couple decades. What, oh, what, 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 what did it do? Misgender someone? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. See now, see now that now that he's in like in jail forever. Now that he's in Sadiq Khan's gulag, I feel obliged to do some of Lawrence Fox's worst <laughs> bits. 
You know, some, it's like a scrumpled up stained bit of paper that you've got that's got a couple of his like scribbled sort of gags on it that yeah, he just uses. Yeah, it just says like genders on there. It's quite hard Ugh. to read his handwriting. <laughs> but before we do any of that, uh, I'm just going to open my door to reduce the echo. One sec. Oh, you're introducing. I thought you were introducing a new segment there. Yeah, the segment where I open my door to reduce the echo. So I'm back. Beautiful segue, uh, Riley. Yeah, but before we talk about HS2. Uh, I, Tory conference has continued and ordinarily I wouldn't go back to a, uh, a well, uh, twice in a, a week. However, we simply must discuss some of the developments of what I am beginning to see is the single most internet political party in the entire, uh, developed world. Yeah. You know how Ron DeSantis is kind of like all of his stuff is like two online gripers who keep putting like sonnenrads and stuff. Uh, and, you know, he's eating shit at the polls, but he can't stop being, like, uh, sort of adhered to that very online kind of fascism. Mm. Well, I mean, what if that was British? What if yeah, it was the it, same thing, but, like, even more dismal somehow? And also governing. Y yes, also <laughs> that. Um, so, so yeah, we've, we've had a uh, Tory conference at Manchester, which uh, I, I think we can say is a new low. Um... I mean, the bit that I want to talk about, obviously, is is the transphobia stuff, which has been mm -hmm. unusually rancid this year. Um, we've had, uh, I mean, the thing is, right, knowing that this is, you know, a year maximum before new elections, uh, there is no time to do any new policy. There is no risk that, like, any of this stuff actually happens. It's purely red meat, but it's not nice being red meat. And so the red meat this time is... We're gonna do single sex wards in hospitals. We're gonna make the like most overworked nurses and doctors in Europe like inspect everybody's genitals in order to decide which chair in a corridor you're allowed to you know die in. That's gonna be cool. Mm -hmm. uh, we're gonna we're gonna get like wokery out of science. Not sure what that one means. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, the sort of the real nadir of this was uh, Rishi Sunak doing a sort of like there's only two genders thing for cheap heat in his, like, uh, set-piece conference speech, which got, like, by far the biggest sort of, like, cheer and applause from uh, Tory members, all of whom are scum. I cannot stress that enough. Uh, you know, absolutely uh, sort of... Subhuman scum. Vile, detestable people. Uh, mm. And, yeah, I, I look forward to that sort of stall being set out as a sort of, like, opposition insurgent party, and I look forward to the Labour Party doing absolutely fuck all different. Uh, it's just it's just very grim. It's very dispiriting, you know. Mm. Playing into well, playing into I think that as well. Going back to your point you made about like this, this is just a view of what a DeSantis presidency would look like. But yeah. sort of, it's like Britain got hit by the American culture war AOE. Well, uh, it's so it, like, it's it's sort of, it's more participatory than that because they're casting yeah. around for what the culture war should be, and they're yeah. trying different things. And you know, it's it's not great that you know. The trans stuff was what seemed to get it, you know? Well, the, the other things as well that I, I sort of are worth talking about in terms of like, this is the most sort of groiper political party right now in the sort of most of the Anglosphere. Yeah, it's like, you, you, is, you know, the Rage Against the Machine thing. Some of those uh, workforces are the same that burn crosses. It's, it's, it's like a, a version of that, but it's like some of those that wear lanyards are the same that post frocks, you know? 
<laughs> well, it's, it's Suella Braverman being like, hey, we will not allow British cities to turn into San Francisco, which they had no, had no risk of turning into. That's an American city. It's an American paranoia. Yeah, San Francisco has functional companies based on it. Yeah, yeah, we can't can't have any of those profitable. Yeah, pe they people want to visit San Francisco. San Francisco has like a, a burgeoning culture. Yeah, yeah, but they, they they didn't used to care about San Francisco. They used to talk about Rotherham, right? Mm -hmm. They they had their like crazy like um you know like like bugbears about Rotherham, and now because they're so disconnected from like from the world around them because they. Most of this is just people reacting to stuff from the internet and just trying to do politics that posts well, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Braverman has gone so far into the internet that she is like, begin she's she basically, it's like Britain has just, they, they have become Ian Miles Chong. Yeah, well, I essentially. Mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you talk about Rotherham because you want to win seats in or near Rotherham, and they've given up on winning seats. They've given up on being sort of like a, a going electoral concern. They want to like rest on their laurels of like 50 seats or whatever, and then a sort of distributed minority everywhere else that is just getting angrier and angrier about San Francisco for some reason. You know, I'm surprised Andy yeah. No didn't show up. I think this gives them a bit too much credit, though, because it's kind of like, I think with the DeSantis thing, I didn't pay much attention to like the primary, so I'm not sure how accurate this is like in its entirety. But it kind of felt that like with the DeSantis thing, there was this kind of concerted understanding that they could take sort of online, like right-wing online reactionary content and sort of try filter it into like a political movement. And that that was sort of influenced by people like, uh, what's his name? Uh, not not Chris DeRuffo, but like some, something Rufo. Chris Rufo. Uh, Chris yeah, Rufo. Yeah. Um, who basically had said, but like, well, here's an example of how I have taken like right-wing uh, reactionary content and turned it into this like local political movement via school boards to kind of create like a trans panic around that. And clearly like the British have like, you know, the sort of, like conservatives have sort of seen this and been like, could we sort of do the same here? But in order for that to work, you kind of need a state that functions, right? And this is kind of where it sort of feels like they're saying, they're saying the stuff, but the stuff has this kind of you know, they're saying this stuff in an attempt to sort of capture a feeling that they don't quite understand because if they were very serious about these things, I think Alice, as you pointed out, like, you know, it's absurd to sort of kind of see doctors and nurses being the sort of, you know, genital border guards for lack of a better term. Yeah. But the but the reality is, is like, well, they're not choose like the single sex wards thing is bizarre because it's like, well, that implies that there are wards open for that in the first place yeah. right and that like it's not going to be the case of you know men and women get to sort of sit on different parts of the floor or the elevator <laughs> to like, oh, like in primary school to, to, to give but yeah well fucking hell yeah basically that um <laughs> I'm, I, I go to a and e with like an arm hanging off and i get to sit on the one bench from like right. uh pe class yeah. or like or like you know teachers kind of you know well the whole teachers thing and like teachers are also going to have to do a similar type of border guarding but that implies that they have the capacity and resources to even do that or that there's there's even enough teachers to do that anyway and so it kind of feels like they're looking at the american part of it as sort of being you know we're looking at the american part of it as being like okay this is really the only viable option left for a right-wing party at this stage but they don't really have any of the kind of infrastructure to really make that land or be convincing and the other part of it and this is based on a video that i think owen jones posted today where he basically interviewed like an anglo groiper who pretty much said mm. the line enoch was right is the idea that well actually this stuff has happened independent of the tory party actually making efforts to do it right mm -hmm. like and so the tory party really had no choice but to engage with these insurgents 
because that's what their party is right now. Like, and nothing else really works except to really indulge in that. And so even when Rishi Sunak is saying that like men are men, women are women, whatever, like he's never sound convinced. But in this instance, it's like, oh, like you really have no control over your party at this point. And like, Mm. just like everyone else, you're looking for an exit plan. But like for the people who are staying, it is very much like, this is it. Like, there is no other way to go except for this. It, it's Farage's party now, and he's doing stuff like, y'all ain't ready for that conversation about, like, you know, people being snide about well, Suella Braver. The, the Farage thing is interesting, too, because I think there's a distinction between uh, sort of casting around for these grievances to throw at people and someone like a Trump, right, who can create those grievances de novo. Uh, mm. Trump can like get people pissed off at something, you know, basically whenever he wants, right? He can mobilize a, a, a sort of like a horde of based groipers against like Vanity Fair magazine, right? Or whatever arcane grudge he has from like 1980s Manhattan. And the only person who's sort of capable of doing that in the UK is Nigel Farage, which is why he's in conference, ostensibly as a journalist, sitting in the third row, sort of waggling his eyebrows, being like, well, you know, take me back. Maybe maybe I can do this for you. Um, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and beyond- <laughs> all, it, all it took was me getting the Brexit vote I wanted and then the entire country eating shit to get me out of the room. And now I'm back, you know? <laughs> and and you know you can I, I want to sort of bring Gareth in on this as well. Sorry, I, I realized I wasn't saying much during that. It's mostly because I think you know Alice said I just wanted it, it's it's your your voice is the most important one here on the discussion. But yeah, it's it's it, it it leaves a sickness in the pit of your stomach. I mean, there's a there, there's quite a, a a large you know the 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 railway community, as it were, particularly railway enthusiasm and people interested in transport has quite a high percentage of trans people. Um, Alice, I don't know whether that's anything to do with you know. Uh, uh, autism uh, is a development. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 as a result of that, you know, it, it, it's, there's there's I'm seeing a lot of people with just genuine fear about their livelihoods. It, it, it there's there's discomfort, there's horror, there's every emotion on the spectrum, and it's absolutely appalling <laughs> well, that so every anyway. single. That every single um, every single uh, uh, political major political party at the moment is is essentially um, uh, holds a consensus on throwing um, on throwing trans people under the bus, uh, and it's just and I don't and again we come back to the fact like to what actual political end, and then all this other stuff. So whilst you've got the kind of your stomach is empty and, and feeling twisted and uncomfortable with this horror, uh, then this sort of this stuff comes in, and it's a shame because, in a way, you can't enjoy all this other kind of amuse bouche nonsense that they're coming up with about mm. shoplifting. But uh, anyway, Riley, talk to, tell us uh, tell us about the shoplifting. I, I wanted to go into the the last thing I noticed here, which was the uh, Chris Philp, the policing minister, his suggestion that look, um, we would like to deputise uh, every UK citizen. It finally, uh, it came to me. You know, you don't have to become a cop if they just make everyone cops. <laughs> Uh, ev- everyone, everyone in the UK has been issued a stab vest. You know, <laughs> we're all hooking our collective thumbs into it, and we're we're just sort of like ambling up to ambling up to the Tesco and going, "What's all this then?" Hey, Bab, all Brits are bastards. Um, <laughs> it's just you know, it was inevitability. Yeah. So what has happened is that and this again, this is off the back of a video of some guys, you know, um, ripping a shoplifter out of a car at Tesco. You know. Uh, fucking with someone that they live near, mm-hmm. right? In for te- the honor of Tesco, um, and then Chris Phillips saw that video, saw that it popped, and was like, "That's policy now." 
I love that. Yeah, I love that. He watches a video of someone getting nabbed with like you know some like milk baby formula and and and, and, and like a couple of potato like packets of potatoes, um, like desperately on their way back to feed their family, and it, they've got him. They they punch him through the plate glass window. They drag him out. They beat him up on the street, and and, and the Tory response is obviously, well, this we this is brilliant. Yeah, just yeah, just, just do a citizen's free. arrest. Free. Just do a citizen's yeah. arrest. And the thing is, right, like th- the rationale for this ostensibly is. Well, the police can't be everywhere. But part of the problem with the police not being able to be everywhere is that they don't show up even if you do successfully grab a shoplifter and defend yeah. Tesco's honor. As you routinely see with like um, uh, security guards, who are at least nominally trained, nominally trained to yeah. deal with this stuff, and like paid to do it, and someone insured and stuff. Mo- like, if they'd like grab somebody for stealing a Twix and like sit on them for forty five minutes while they're slowly getting positional asphyxia or whatever, at the end of that, if the police then go, yeah, turns out we still haven't been able to work out like cellular reproduction of police officers. We haven't like myosed another cop off of us, so we still can't show up because there aren't any. Then you have to let the guy go. You have to get up off of him and let him go. And the whole thing was a sort of a futile exercise at the end of which both of you are injured and nothing has changed except for a sort of abject sense of humiliation. That's one of the ways it could go. The other, vastly more dangerous way this can go is if we're making policy off of this video of a sort of like cry laughing mob of Kevins pulling you out of your car. Right? And we're going, okay, but at the end of that, the cops still don't show up. What we're moving towards then is a very real possibility of someone getting lynched by these people over fucking groceries, which is not ideal. Yeah, this is like a microcosm of it's like a microcosm of everything, and it's actually this is going to loop into the HS2 stuff because it just perfectly encapsulates the trajectory of, of of kind of things. So you start off with you know the police officer, they're too expensive, so you kind of downgrade them, so you get the PCSO, mm-hmm. which was like a new labor thing, right? And then that was picked up, and then we moved, and this was kind of during new labor, but certainly massively started happening at scale uh, in in the kind of the coalition years and beyond. Was that then the whole of like we just started seeing non cops who have absolutely nothing to do with the police appearing. In either, you know, in terms of they're much cheaper. They're either security guards or they're like the weird not cop people that you see going around paid for by like businesses yes. or, or like central business district groups that, that that are kind of dressed like cops, but again are somehow free. And then we, go, we that's too expensive. That's even too expensive. So we're going to get rid of that and then just have a guy. Yeah. Just us, all of us, are the cops now. It's a good thing that uh, there hasn't been a recent scandal about how security uh, training like routinely skips all of the sort of mandatory first aid bit if you bung them an extra fifty quid. Uh, yeah, because that would be that would be really <laughs> bad in combination with this. But yeah, no, we we can't even afford those guys anymore. Uh, we were we were sort of one of the things we were right about is volunteer border guards. But you're also now you're enlisted as volunteer Tesco security. So so what what Chris Phillips said was. If you do just let people walk in and take stuff and walk out without proper challenge, potentially a physical one, then it will just escalate. Again, basically saying what a lot of the San Francisco tech guys dream of, which is, mm. I should be allowed to use a Gundam to defend yeah. the Kroger. Yeah, Britain yeah. is now PvP enabled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you should be, and basically the idea is you can go get a quest from Sainsbury's to go and die for, fight and die for them. Listen, the, the, the Fighters Guild is always looking for work if you've got the stones for it, and this yeah. is this is the work, you know? Yeah. 
and you don't even get the siren for your car because now you can't <laughs> no, get just anywhere. Buy your own shit off of Amazon. Buy like a cheap airsoft mm. vest and just sort of like walk around Tesco patrolling on your own time. Just a load way- of people with aftermarket horns acting as sirens driving around like, you know, they're like, <laughs> oh my god, yeah, like they're Mazda with like aftermarket weird sort of sirens going around. Every siren is on all the time. The only way that this makes sense, I suppose, is if a, a subgroup of citizens decides that they're going to police the other citizens. Uh, <laughs> like some kind yeah, of we could, we, could, we could give them some kind of like standardized uniform, maybe. I don't know. Uh, well, I was thinking more of like a vigilante accountability office. Yeah. Like, an inter- like internal affairs, but internal to everything. Yeah, I mean, oh, I, I kind of, th- this is the thing that gets people very mad at me, but as we continue with our sort of endless right-wing project of defunding the police, the alternative is these guys, right? It is it is 50 kevs in, like, next jumpers pulling you out of your car and kicking the absolute shit yeah, out of you. Because they think they thought you looked shifty. Yes. They thought, yeah, yeah. They thought yeah. maybe you took even, something. Even less pretext than the Met might uh, require. You know? it's a good yeah. job. It's a good job that we don't have loads of research showing that people that, that, that the average Britain's perception of people who look shifty um, is, is absolutely kind of colorblind. Doesn't have any. It's un- unrelated to you know poverty or ethnic mm-hmm. ma- yeah. kind of background. Mm-hmm. But it's a good job that we know that that isn't the case. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the uh, essentially right. This is just a kind. I mean, the way I, I see this whole the whole conference just we won't be talking about it again obviously the way i sort of see this whole conference you want want to bet riley (laughs) (laughs) um the the way i have seen it what i've seen what's come out of it is a kind of frame we talk a lot about the right-wing restoration and i think this will this will prove to have been an important moment in it when the british right decides what it's all about and it seems yeah, and it's, like it's living this... to serve a guy called like based Kekistani fourteen eighty eight, you know? Well, yeah, because you you've those were the guys that were mobilized by the guys with the sauce, and now it's the sauceless who have come in uh, to try to conti- keep them mobilized. They're saying, hey, here's what you like, have more of it. In the land of the sauceless, the one sauce haver is king, and that's <laughs> I guess Farage. Yeah. So and so, what we're seeing, I think, is the Tory party sort of deciding where its energy is, which is in in saying the state no longer has the power to uh, effectively inflict cruelty. Um, what we can do is continue to roll back and allow the private sector, whether that's individuals or whether that's, let's say, I don't know, the security forces of the Houston Redevelopment Project to come in and inflict cruelty uh, privately. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about those guys some more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but before we, we we finish off as well, I mean this just this is related to the discussion of the ID cards. But um, uh, Philip also said, "Hey, what if we link all of the passport data in with the police national computer mm. so that CCTV can use AI to auto recognize uh, faces?" Which again and, and is never what? well, you know. So then they can be known. Put, put up a can... fucking photo outside the Tesco to be like, "Do not admit this guy," and then they just walk in anyway. Like, what do you? Um, I, uh, Devin can just basically pick up my audio from the previous <laughs> bit about uh, evidence that we understand that there's definitely never a bias about selection of, of, uh, of and just basically apply it to AI technology. It's the same thing, right? You know. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, this is when, Ra- when Raphael Baer writes uh, in the Guardian a column called 
mad, bad, and dangerous to know. We're witnessing the Tories' final descent into absurdity. This spectacle shows how politics is degraded when power is wielded by a party that is no longer serious about government. You can be like, yeah, you know, if you didn't see this, I remember you didn't, you, you liked this coming. You had a heart attack about the alternative coming. And, you know, now you're saying, oh, oh no, um, I can't believe that these unserious clowns um, have started just throwing out internet stuff as policy. Yeah, and, and the thing is, like, it, it, the actual policy has barely changed. What's changed is the semiotics, that it doesn't have the kind of more serious brand of Tory think tank. It doesn't have, like, you know, the Institute for Policy Studies, the Institute for Fiscal Studies, any of the kind of, like, professional thinky people orbiting around the outside of the fucking groiper culture meme. Uh, sort of stroking their chins and going, hmm, interesting, but you know, how do you make it sort of like governable? Now that you've lost those guys, now that those guys have like unfolded their folding bikes and fucked off back to zone three, you've just, you've got like a government purely buy and for cry laugh emoji. And, you know, in actual material terms, it, it turns out that the only thing that mattered to, to guys like Rafa was, you know, the, the thinky guys, which were. Like totally dead weight on the project. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It turns out they're um they're going to be depending uh, on a DWP that they have asked to become crueler. Yeah, I mean Ugh. the thing is like it, it's sort of like being on the Titanic, at, like as it's sort of like tilting and being like, oh no, I really like those deck chairs. They lent <laughs> sort of a semblance of like serious cruise ship atmosphere to this whole thing that I'm really kind of sad that we're not having anymore. You know, this has become a fundamentally unserious cruise ship now. So let's talk about the damn train. Uh, or lack thereof, indeed. Uh, <laughs> high speed to the rail link that was going to connect London to some other cities in the UK, as opposed to London and Paris, um, was uh, sort of bandy. It's been on the verge of cancellation for a while. Um, one of the big red meat policies was that the Tories were going to enact, as we've sort of alluded to in past test episodes of the show, was we're going to have it stop outside of London, making it useless, uh, or we're going to cancel the whole thing, or we're going to cancel different legs of it so it doesn't connect any, any more UK cities than are absolutely necessary. Um, but the, what I want to start off with is this. this is David Frost, former Brexit negotiator, said this about um, Jeremy Hunt flying 30 minutes from London to Manchester. He says, I don't often say this, but well done to Jeremy Hunt. We can already get from London to Manchester in 30 minutes, even without HS2. A modern society needs more flights, not... Fewer. Gareth, how excited are you about the own, being in the only country in the Anglosphere engaging in a modal shift towards cars and planes? Yeah, uh, all of our planning whenever we get you on Gareth and whenever it's like train related, the planning for that segment is just like, ask Gareth, he knows. <laughs> so with that in mind, what the fuck's going on? Yeah, pretty much. Right. Okay. Good God. Uh, where to start? I want to um, shout very loudly at, uh, at David Frost. I want to grip the, um, the Conservative Party leadership, um, which actually apparently a very small number of people are, are kind of essentially creating these policies in, in like, a be like a bedroom, a hotel bedroom uh, off the cuff. Um, it's cool. just a mess. I, 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 where, where do I start? I want to throttle people, but I'm going to have to control myself. Yes. Yeah, so for years, so for years if people want to know, why, why, why do I talk about HS2? What was Because occasionally people go, well, you know, because you get paid to design railways. And it's like, well, 
I mean, no, that's not why. I've dedicated you know thousands of hours of my own time trying to explain this project to people, partly because a lot of people on the left didn't get it. They saw that it, it fitted into a lot of their, ironically, fitted into a lot of the kind of the standard left tropes of like, oh, it's just corruption. Oh, it's just money for, Tory, like for Tories, corruption. But all the sort of standard tropes were saying, it's just, you know, it's not doing anything. It's faster trains for no reason. No, the whole point is that, well, I'll tell, you what, I'll tell you what HS2 is later, but the whole point is I was trying to explain this over and over again. It's deeply frustrating. So obviously I'm, you know, uh, somewhat broken uh, from like the fact that I knew it would get cancelled based on, you know, two, five years ago, I wrote a piece explaining why it would get cancelled and it's now been cancelled. And I once again hate being right. It's uh, it's not a comfortable a uh, condition. Just <laughs> anyway, very frustrating. So um, we, we had within Rishi Sunak's speech, ob- obviously he was going to cancel it. That was just table stakes since two, and in fact, since I think my first or second appearance with you guys talking about, you know, a previous discussion of what was changing in, 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 in the, with HS2. Um, so it was obvious that it was going to get cancelled. But the way that it's been cancelled is, I think, the really painful thing, which was talked about within um, the uh, Rishi Sunak's speech, which he's not just cancelling it, but maybe preserving the land that's been purchased so that someone in the future can decide to to build uh, to, to build HS2. No, no, no. They are going to um, get rid of all what's called the safeguarding, which makes sure that you don't get any development on the space of the infrastructure and sell the land. And they said within weeks. So it's like, it's, so Alice, you talked about the fact that these policies can be reversed. Well, actually, if, if Sunak et al. get their way, this will be, essentially will be irreversible, which, of course, the moment to speak and, as, and for the Labour Party was uh, to say, no, actually, we still fully intend to go ahead with HS2 developers, so buy this land at your peril, because we'll just buy it off you again. Uh, although I suppose they'd still buy it and get it at a higher rate. But anyway, but of course, no, um, uh, Starmer's response was, um, I welcome uh, and of course, he decided he wanted them to go further. Sorry, it's non-union Milo is here. Everyone again, um, uh, yeah. So um, yeah, it, it just it just seemed like again the sort of broader theme of this conference, right, was uh, not to be like, oh, the Tories are the nasty party again because they always have been. But I think the sort of the the deal, the sort of the one union Tory stuff, the the realization was if you kept the sort of like spite to acceptable minority groups, you could be an electorally viable party. If you kept it to migrants, if you kept it to trans people, then whatever. You could be as nasty as you want and you could sort of like get it out of your system, your little nasty Tory system that way, and then sort of like govern in a sort of like polite, wibbly, sort of ham-faced way in general. Um, And we've sort of witnessed the retreat from that. Now the Tories are on the cusp of becoming this insurgent party. This has managed to be the sort of like th- this turn to spite of not just like train users, right? But like the North, uh, yeah, L- it's, oh, London. It's absolutely a spit uh, in the face to all the Northern Labour mayors for having the cheek mm. to speak out against. So it's, it's it's spite through and through. Uh, sorry, Riley, I know we're getting off track and jumping all over the place, but we'll we'll get into the detail in a second. But I just want to just kind of explain what's actually happened in terms of the inf- what the proposal was, what's actually materially changed. So. HS2, 530 kilometers of rail of dedicated high-speed railway. The trains would run further, but there were supposed to be 530 kilometers of new infrastructure, two-track infrastructure. Um, uh, so two years ago, 200 kilometers of that got cancelled. Um, uh, then, um, then they've kind of now what they've done is cancel 
even more of it. So they've just left a spur, just basically a rump from London up to Birmingham, um, which is only, so they've got rid of sixty percent of the project. There's only forty percent remaining. Admittedly, it's the most expensive forty percent because it's because of all the tunnels that has been installed for Chiltern NIMBY MPs. But that's only forty percent. So sixty percent of the project has gone, has been uh, cancelled. And as I say, not just cancelled and left for the future, but like fire sale, get the land sold, so on. Um, you know, they're they're also altering Euston Station. This is uh, so um, uh, Euston Station. They're going to sell some of the land that they previously purchased to make the full size station again to make it impossible to in the future expand that station as it needs to be to to accommodate all the services. The, the, the broad based spite, as opposed to the sort of like focused spite, where it's just like no, you you can't have Euston Station. You can't have trains anymore. Fuck you. Piss off London. Piss off the North. Piss off like everything in between. Uh, fantastic. Great work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So for sure. I'll I'll sort of go through this um, uh, sort of systematically, right? But that's the broad brush of what's happening is one of the two major transport infrastructure projects in the in the UK. Uh, the other one was Crossrail, which was delivered. Uh, some others that sort of never get off the ground might be airport expansions, which probably fine. So, I mean, if fucking Corbyn had been elected, I'd be able to take HS10 from Glasgow directly to the studio. I'd be able to like sort of leap from a train in motion through the window perfectly into my <laughs> podcasting chair. You know, this is one of the infrastructure projects, as you say, cancelled. Um, and uh, the whole point, and, and then they said, okay, well, look, this is too London-centric, we're going to cancel that and reallocate it to a bunch of, quote, people's transport priorities. I, I well, should also stress, though, before we, before 70 we get 70 road that, projects. Yeah, that uh, HS2 was not sort of like, and this is my understanding, Gareth, please feel free to correct me, uh, was not like a sort of luxury project. As much as we're talking about like Rishi Sunak cancelling the future and stuff, right? This was not sort of uh, like, oh, we're going to have this gold-plated, envy-of-the-world kind of train system. So much as this was emergency bypass surgery on the West Coast mainline. Yeah, 100%. Maybe this is a good time for me to just explain what HS2 is, right? Let's, let, yeah. I'll do it. I'm going to do this. This is like, you know, years of explanation. I'm going to compress it, super, super compress this. So, But unfortunately, we have to jump back to the 90s mm. because uh, in the post privatization world, uh, the West Coast mainline, um, so the, the line going from London, Houston, up to you know, uh, you know, Birmingham, Manchester, Central, Glasgow, yeah. yep, is essentially the main intercity, north-south intercity railway in, in the UK, um, even though the East Coast mainline is nicer, but uh, the West Coast mainline is, is the main one. Um, BR had been planning to upgrade it over decades with various plans, advanced passenger train, this, that, and the other. It never, it, it was electrified in the between the, the late 50s through to the 70s, um, and it was kind of the flagship. But it was it, it was creaking at the seams by the nineties. It was rammed, even though the trains were crap. Virgin were like coming in, and Branson was like, "We're going to make everything one hundred and seventy miles an hour, and we're going to introduce these tilting trains." And so there's all this discussion and all this a mixture of old plans that Biard had cancelled after privatization became this thing called the West Coast Route Modernization. And it was the thing that Railtrack, which was the private company before Network Rail was was created, that, that owned the infrastructure after the, in the aftermath of the privatization, this project sank Railtrack. It was such an enormous calamity. Why was it a calamity? Because funnily enough, upgrading an existing railway um, to enormously over-enthusiastic specifications uh, on a mixed traffic railway with fast trains, slow trains, freight trains, etc., is impossible. Um, so they so on what was supposed to have like you know uh, automatic signals it was supposed to, you know like automatic trains it was supposed to have 140 mile an hour trains 145 mile an hour trains 
it was downgraded to 125 mile an hour railway with like the tilting trains and that was it and they did a bit they did a load of four tracking to try and increase capacity so they increased the capacity of the line by like 50 to 60 percent um it cost in today's money about 25 billion pounds um so that's an enormous amount of money bearing in mind hs2 is only about 88 to to, to 100 so 25 billion pounds spent on the west coast route modernization and before they'd even paid the last contract all of the extra capacity had been absorbed so every extra seat was being used so that project okay clearly not pointless because people were using the extra capacity but it was clear that upgrading the existing railway was just futile like you there was just absolutely the case of diminishing returns and so before they even finished that project a new project of a new high speed link was had come up with this has been bouncing around since the 90s uh, since fat since the late 80s this project became it was a new labor initiative uh, andrew donis everyone's favorite blairite yeah, the, was, guy, um, the guy who said hs2 was one of his children that guy uh, yeah that guy i mean you know to be fair i can't i'm, I'm not one to point fingers in that on that domain but anyway uh, adonis championed this um, and it was called HS2. It was a, a new high-speed line, and it was essentially, in the aftermath of this West Coast route modernization, it was seen as the only way to provide this uh, uplifting capacity. And right from the off, it was not about the speed of getting, just having the prestige of a high-speed railway, um, although you know it is a normal thing for modern countries to have nowadays, let's face it. Um, uh, it was about the fact that our existing railway was absolutely crammed. Decisions would be made in the 60s to prioritise these long-distance services versus, you know, in in favour of, rather than, uh, you know, suburban services that, that people actually use. So we had a, had a crammed railway. The point was that you free up the existing railway to run more suburban services. And the main benefit you got of that was in the north, because uh, from Birmingham northwards, the railway network is mostly two track and it's absolutely crammed. There's loads of bottlenecks. So basically, if every single station in England and Wales, north of London and south of York, essentially gained a benefit from HS2 from this release capacity. That's how massively wide ranging the, the, the benefits were, particularly in places like Manchester and Leeds you know, in North, and the East Midlands, actually. They gained huge benefit from this project. So... Um, that's where, obviously, if you have a good project... The other thing is, the reason I get so passionate about this... Sorry, Riley, I know I'm waffling, but hopefully this is useful stuff, and, and, and ho I'm hoping some of your listeners aren't maybe familiar with this story, and so it's a useful thing for them to hear. This is also the only glimpse of any sort of long-term strategic planning in any way that the UK has done in a very long time. So for me, I gripped onto it as, oh my God, we're doing this one thing, this one cross-party, because it was cross-party right the way across uh, mm. the, the, the political spectrum. This had broad political agreement that this was a good idea, that this would be a thing that would help sort of break uh, that stupid rebalance in the economy stuff. But it, the reality is, the reason why Britain's economy is so screwed is because we keep desperately trying to pump air into the London balloon, while you've got all these floppy balloons for all the other cities that we are making no effort to pump air into, if you like. That's my weird balloon economy analogy. But you know, we're pumping all this air into the London balloon, hoping that it won't burst. Well, what we could do is, in fact, pump some air into some of the other balloons, and that might create some growth. Um, anyway, so that is my explanation for HS2. Riley. So uh, all of that being said, right, it appears that, the, the, that not doing this is uh, going to um, not allow any kind of, as you say, bypass relief on those other lines. Refusing to expand uh, Houston is not is going to make the station pretty much unusable. We'll talk about that later. Um, and it's yeah, back I mean, they, to, they would have they would have done as well just to have dynamited the West Coast Main Line on their way yeah. out. Uh, it, it, <laughs> it it appears that the dream for the future UK transport infrastructure is Alberta, Calgary, <laughs> Alberta. <laughs> it, it seems like. And, and as you say, it was, what it was supposed to do was make the rest of the line work strategically. Uh, and the cost of doing this, 
as I'm beginning to understand, is not just that there will not be a high-speed rail link from London to any other UK city, or in this case, from out of what, like West London to just outside Birmingham, yeah. but that yeah, other trains, other trains yeah. also won't run at all. Yeah, so the, the the challenge with what is being proposed, which is essentially that those the HS2 trains, well, basically they're going to do what the first bit of HS2 was supposed to be, which was that temporarily the trains would come off the line um, at Birmingham, would run on the, the West Coast Main Line, you know, the current railway, um, up to Manchester and beyond. That was the temporary plan. The trouble with doing that on a permanent basis is that you don't fix anything. And in fact, if you're wanting those trains to go faster, you actually reduce the number of trains after run because you have to push more trains out of the way to create a bigger gap so they don't catch the train up in front. So you actually end up with even fewer trains running on the network at the point when we need to be, you know, we need much more rail freight running. We need much more. Um, well, the line I use is that we need between 50 and 100 percent more rail capacity. So a doubling of rail capacity by at least by the middle of this century, if not um, much earlier. Uh, HS2 was, was the way that we would get a long way towards achieving that. Now it's gone. Little fiddly projects here and there to upgrade the existing network are simply, you know, don't get me wrong, we are doing lots of up upgrades to the existing network. They happen all the time. There's one happening right now between Manchester and Leeds. It's called Transpen and Rue Upgrade. These things do happen, but they are a case of diminishing returns because we have this mixture of traffic, because we, particularly the fast trains, that are the, the, the worst ones for eating up capacity. So let's talk about... Um, why? So, in fact, Riley, I don't know. You maybe maybe want to talk about the public accounts committee a bit because it's, it's quite a good way to maybe lead us into talking about why the, what the excuse for cancelling it is. Yeah, in, indeed. Well, I, I have a few a few sort of related questions here, right? So from 2012, where it gets the green light, it starts being planned, starts being built in 2018. By 2020, it's already badly off course um, because in the public accounts committee said it was lacking in transparency, low on skills, short in capacity, and that their annual accounts don't give an, a full account of the program's problems, like. This is clearly something that more or less started falling over from the starters blocks. And it might be worth asking, why was it such a shambles to complete? Why did the budget spiral? Why were we not able to keep up with it? From what I can tell, it's from a combination of the fact that like everybody who, who, who bid for it basically was like, oh, yeah, we can do it for a tenner, knowing that they could once they were in, they could jack up the price as high as they wanted. Uh, and that because the government wasn't able to... Um, didn't really have any real competition between them. And also that the British railway industry in general, we sort of haven't trained anyone new in, what, 50 years. Yeah, so it's, so there's... Okay, so there's a few things there. The, in terms of cost escalation, actually HS2's cost hasn't escalated quite as much as everyone makes out. So the initial 32 billion from 2013 was just made up numbers by management consultants. So the first real uh, budget was 56 billion in, in, in 2016 or whatever. Um, actually, the 20, sorry, 56 billion was kind of in the aftermath of the 2013 design. 56 billion then went up to about 88 billion. And so some of that 88 billion was uh, inflation. Some of it was escalation of the costs because actual engineers started looking at the proposals and the design becomes more detailed and you actually start understanding the problems. Um, and as you say, there was an element of contractor risk added in there that, that inflated the price, um, but the 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 the, the 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 idea of the cost having escalated is not not overblown, but. I mean, for example, a few months ago, a report was submitted to, to government, to, to the, the rail minister, that, that highlighted that actually uh, HS2 was currently with quite a lot within its current contingency. So this has been overplayed a bit by government. But but it doesn't mean to say that the costs and the escalations don't exist and there are not serious problems of delivering major civil engineering like this. So I'm going to explain why. Why is HS2 expensive? You know, a lot of people often say, well, it's the most expensive, you know, it's 10 times more expensive than high-speed rail in, in Europe. So let's pick into that. Why is that? Well, there's three reasons. 
The first is, is, is kind of scope. And that is, why the hell are we delivering a national high-speed rail project as one project when it's actually like at least three railway lines? Like, so the idea of bunging everything into one scope and meaning that you've got and also so high speed lines in Europe you don't include you only pay for you know the high speed line project is just the bit just outside the city to the bit just outside the other city so it's just the bit that runs through the kind of the rural area it's not the expensive tunnels into the city it's not the big city center stations all that stuff are, are delivered as their own big projects separately so already you've got a diff you're not really comparing you know as a country we're not really comparing apples and, and oranges it's not. It doesn't make sense to do that. It doesn't make sense to deliver HS2 as HS2. It makes sense to deliver HS2 as probably you know 12, 15 different projects as part of a plan for the overall railway. Now, had we done that, that would have simplified the contracts because they'd have been smaller. They wouldn't. You wouldn't have been talking about contracts that were multiple billions of pounds to one one you know one organisation. There'd have been lots of much smaller packages. Also, it would have been easier to manage because you'd have had smaller projects that you know that, that government uh, and civil servants can actually keep get their heads around. But that long term lack of a plan and strategy also means that you end up with. The, with the public not understanding what HS2 is about because it's not part of a bigger picture. So that's the first one. The scope is the fundamental reason why the, that price difference. The second one um, is about construction. the construction industry itself. We have a very fragmented construction industry, and this is kind of well within the TF wheelhouse, right? So... Um, the, this construction industry fragmentation, we rely, we don't have like three or four big contractors that just do everything. We have like multiple different contractors, uh, most of them not actually UK contractors anymore. You know, they're French, they're Spanish because we don't have to know how to do this stuff. But also, we rely hugely on subcontractors, sub subcontractors, sub sub subcontractors. And we have this obsession with SMEs, subs, with many everything such cases. being. Well, into, oh, it's into, exactly right. Um, you know, you, you, we have all of these SMEs. So that means, as with the rail industry, we have contracts and contracts and interfaces and contracts and all of this wastage and complexity that adds a huge amount of cost. And, um, you know, it, it's a bit... It, I always like to quote the bad guys to say the thing that I agree with, because, you know, much as I like to, you know, talk about problems with, it, with the industry, PwC, everyone's favorite organization, did a report into this that's actually quite good. And they say that construction industry fragmentation accounts for like 15, 20 percent of extra costs on top of projects in the UK. And the third thing, the third thing is commitment. If you don't have commitment to these projects, you cannot grow the skills. You cannot have the the, the efficiency and the, the, the technologies that contractors might buy to do this stuff more cheaply. Um, you have this over-centralization of decision-making, which takes away from that commitment. So the fact that it's Westminster in charge of all this stuff, even more so now than before the, the, the conference, means that there is a lack of continuity because everything becomes about election cycles. If this stuff was like we more like in Europe where you have regional delivery, so you know it's not the central government that delivers this stuff, it's basically funded a bit by them, but this stuff gets delivered in bits by the regional governments. We don't have that in the UK because we're bonkers in, in terms of we're the most centralized economy of our type in the world. So so if you could if effectively yeah. really what we're saying is a kind of fantasy about small to medium enterprises has taken root in Westminster that has caused them to um, completely forego economies of scale so they can give give projects to guys in sheds, more or less. Um, <laughs> it's, it's also, absolutely, I mean, yeah, yeah. So you have this, yeah, this, this cascade, this fixation with, it, it's kind of the, I mean, we heard it in Rishi's stupid speech. We talked about the fact that, the, that he sees Britain as the country of like small businesses. It's like, well, small businesses are great. You know, you guys are a small business. The, the small businesses are fine. But I should give us a rail line. You should, guys should be add it to the list of things. You know, um, 
you 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 create oil, oil warehouse, warehouse NFT, you know, the and and now a contract to deliver to deliver what's left of HS2. And um, it's it's rather than having you know most co- countries would have a big contract that just does everything, it does everything it needs to. But we're fixated on like oh no, we're gonna have a subcontractor that you hire the you hire the. I mean, it's rentier economy stuff, right? This is absolute TF wheelhouse rentier economy. You hire the kit from them, you hire those guys from them. Uh, we don't know how to do that, so we're gonna hire that kit from them, and, and you just all this fragmentation. That just means you've got to write loads of contracts, pay loads of lawyers. It's much more expensive and it slows everything down, gums it's, up the works. All you want, it's, it's you're trying to do it with only managers. I, I, I talk, yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, it adds so many more staff than you need. You'd rather have than paying engineering staff. You're paying a load of management consultants to just hold this organization together. Um, I, I was talked a second ago about quoting the bad guys. I hate Treasury, but here is a report from 2010 by Treasury into why infrastructure costs too much. And you'll enjoy each of these very quickly, each five points. Um, th- these are the improvement objectives from 2010. Number one, to create better visibility and continuity of the infrastructure investment pipeline. Ouch. Number two, to implement effective governance of projects and programs. Ouch. Uh, number three, to instill greater discipline in the commissioning of projects and programs. Um, that's a particularly funny one, given the list of the things that they're replacing HS2 with were created in a hotel bedroom about three days ago. Um, four, to develop smarter ways to use competition. I don't really know what that's a that's a laborite thing. Who knows what they mean by that? And five, to create an environment that encourages industry to invest in efficiency and reducing direct construction costs. So that's, again, long-term pipeline stuff, which obviously isn't happening when it can just be cancelled at whim. So yeah, that's treasury. The, the enemy of the piece there, uh, saying the things that this government has obviously just ripped up. Yeah, very frustrating. So that's sorry, that's a bit of explaining why the costs are. So it's, it's scope, um, it's uh, construction industry fragmentation, and it's the commitment from government or the lack thereof. When you read these these sort of points from Treasury, what I find so amusing is that it's the the instruction from Treasury is to do these things that Treasury brain forbids being done. Yeah. Just canning <laughs> this thing. Uh, canning this thing, having all of these different contractors, so all the indiv- everything's quite small. That's pure treasury brain. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But the thing, so we, we understand, I think, what it was supposed to do. What will happen now that it's not happening? Which is basically, no one can get a train sort of at all on the west coast, and the east coast will take all of its relief traffic, which means no one will be able to get a train well, yeah, at all. The east, on the east coast already being full. Yeah, so everything's yeah. everything's full, and so rail basically rail travel is kind of ossified from this point onwards. That, yeah. That's basically what this means. And and then also we won't be expanding Houston, and the way we that Sunak is presenting preventing a future government from expanding Houston. I mean, not that Starmer was really ever threatening to at all. Yeah, uh, is to is to immediately create a Canary Wharf-style private company or give to a Canary Wharf-style private company carte blanche to create something five times the size of the King Cross redevelopment in the Houston area, basically meaning that the private security forces of the Houston Development Corporation will be able to wave to the private security forces of the King's Cross Development yeah, Corporation. Yeah, it's, it's going to be one of those weird sort of like extraterritorial London things where we get our beloved uh, private security force with the like specially coloured expensive high visas. Yes. Uh, uh, and if you want a around. vision of of the future of this country, then it's going to be a bunch of those guys milling around outside a closed station forever. <laughs> just, just yeah, staggering. So yeah, Houston. It's worth very briefly talking, like very briefly talking about Houston because it comes back. To, so part of the reason Houston station is getting very expensive. Well, there are two reasons why Houston's getting very expensive. Actually, uh, number one is the fact that uh, since 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 a review that happened a few years back, uh, the Treasury has become obsessed by oversight development and they've given lend lease 
uh, everyone's favorite um, over, you know, kind of like a land developer. They've given Lendlease essentially free reign to say to the engineers, no, I want that to to change that, make that worse, just so that I can make my oversight development bigger. So basically, we've we've restrict we've turned the station that was you know they're supposed to be the gateway to almost everywhere outside of the south of England in the UK. Uh, sorry, Northern Ireland. Um, the station that should should be this incredible gem, this gateway to the rest of the UK, it was going to just be buried underneath a lot of oversight development. So that's number one. So that's made it expensive because Lendlease had basically been given free reign to shit on any of the engineering to just make their oversight development as, as nicer. But the even bigger one is the fact that um, there is a huge the the underground. Anyone who's travelled at London uh, Euston Underground Station knows that it's hopeless. Um, also, the fact that you've got to walk to Euston Square for other, some of the tube lines, it's all a bit of a mess and it's hopeless and it just gets so crammed at, at peak time um it is overdue a, re- a massive redevelopment anyway which crossrail 2 was supposed to do so hs2's original plans and the costings of euston originally had crossrail 2 being uh, paying for the upgrades to the tfl elements so that the underground elements crossrail 2 obviously was shit canned and so you, hs2 have to pick up the bill for all that work to happen under the under, underneath so and again, this just talks of the fact this lack of any kind of long-term strategic planning, any sort of joined-up thinking, just has just costs billions of pounds more. Um, yeah, it's just really frustrating. So cool. let's let's talk about uh, sort of Houston in general, right? We number one, we are going to privatize a big part of the of the city, kick lots of like, people it, out it, of their now, homes. Now it's the only way that it'll even get to Houston instead of Old Oak Common, which is in the middle of fucking nowhere. <laughs> yeah. If there's private investment to pay for all of this shit. Mm. And indeed, and and I mean they they because all of this policy is made by like people on their ninth beer in a hotel room. Yeah. They've gone back. It's literally this is kind of what's happening. Um, they've gone back and forth on where it's going to start, where it's going to end. Is Manchester cancelled? Is it not? All of this is completely ambiguous at the time of recording. Um, and the only thing that we know is that the offices and flats that Lendlease are going to build on top of Euston Station and then all around it and then own privately like Canary Wharf or King's Cross, um, those are going to make it impossible to improve Euston Station at all ever under any circumstances ever. Yeah, so uh, it's supposed to be 11 platforms for the high-speed element of, uh, of Euston Station. You know, a huge amount of land purchased there, a huge amount of blight to, to local people. Funnily enough, quite a high, uh, kind of a high ethnic population that's, that's been heavily impacted by this um, in, in Camden. Um, massive impacts, and the blight is only continuing for them, more uncertainty, and it's going to be replaced by an enormous gentrification project that will just bring in a load of, well, I mean, empty apartments, obviously. We know how London works. Um, but the point is that, that the development will take what should have been 11 platforms and they're just going to build on the space where seven of those platforms should go and then leave space for five platforms that's that's basically the so th- that's if, essentially if you plan. ever want to like do any of this stuff you have to i guess demolish a bunch of flats incidentally exactly. demolish a bunch of empty flats yeah incidentally isn't a bunch of, fl- this... a load of flats were already demolished for this space yeah. so already, we've taken a load of people who were low-income people who lived in flats there demolished their homes and we're going to replace their homes with some new flats that no one's going to live in isn't this also quite close to the constituency of uh, an MP by the name of one uh, Keir Starmer. I mean, yes. like, n- never mind this leader of the opposition stuff. Is is, is the MP for like Hoborn and St Pancras saying anything about this? Uh, he's been in, oppos- in opposition. To, uh, he has opposed HS2 as an MP. Um, I, I, like I, there are a few people trying to pull gotchas from 2015 when he was pulling a petition against HS2, uh, pulling, posting a petition against HS2. Um, 
I can understand why, as an MP, you can can and should oppose a project in your constituency that has a major impact, and that you would have a different stance as you become leader of the opposition. However, he has spoken up about HS2 in the last, like, I think, day. Uh, and of course, what did you expect? What, what do you think he said? He has said um, that because uh, of the mess made by this government, he cannot promise to deliver uh, that he yeah, will deliver HS2. He's, he's going to review HS2, but he's going to say. We should build more trains, but they should go at a normal speed rather than a high speed. <laughs> well, good, good news. <laughs> good news, because that's kind of what they're doing. By ending it early, there is the very real prospect of these like beautiful, expensive, you know, uh, two hundred something mile an hour high speed trains just kind of like fucking about at like somewhere between seventy and one hundred and ten miles an hour on regular like lines, pushing everything else out of the way. Which is going to be going to be great. You can get a seat on one of those. You can go to like Birmingham Interchange, which no one even knows what that is, uh, at seventy miles an hour, and you can look at all the scenery. Oh wait, it's in a tunnel, so you can't even do that. Okay. Yeah, um, pretty much. I, I I want a sensible train. I want it to be go a sensible speed. I want to be able to enjoy the view out of the tunnel. I don't see why a train should go any faster than. 50 miles uh, if an hour. Having, having sort of like views of like fields and stuff to look at is frivolity, which would undermine the sort of business traveler case, right? You might, well, you might see a bloke. If yeah, exactly. Can't <laughs> be doing that. So, so we, we're, we're doing that. Okay, we're if turning, you don't drink from the tunnel. We're also, we're also <laughs> going to be, we're, when we talk about sort of um, Houston, just bringing it back here, um, by, by doing all of this, you're creating a whole bunch of flats that are going to mean Houston, I've read this in The Independent, that Houston will basically be unusable and constantly unsafe. Like, it will have to yeah. close more or less constantly. Yeah, no, that, that, absolutely. I think that was John Stone in The Independent who was, was writing about that. It, it, it is... Houston is already dangerous in its current situation. So chucking maybe six, seven, eight thousand extra people through there an hour is going to result in them just having to do what they do on other like London Underground stations where they just close it and they ship everyone out, um, which is going to be great for what, as I'll say again, is supposed to be the main London station to get to everywhere north of London. So it seems to be the future of transport is A, a bunch of... Um private security guards patrolling the uh, outside of a closed station and B it's a sort of crapshoot whether or not um, any number of these things will be the case you can get a seat on a train you can get a train the train is running the train will be able to um, get there on time or the station that you're departing from or going to is going to be open yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's Absolutely appalling. Mm. Uh, just a complete. Yeah, I, I, I don't have enough superlatives. My finger is hovering over the swear button, basically, for the way that I want to kind of express myself over this. Yeah, it's hopeless. Yeah. So, but what will they do instead? Right, because we've noticed that they're going to, they're going to um, reallocate some of this money to a bunch of things that, when you check their homework, have been completed since 2012 or 15, uh, like Nottingham trams, Sheffield trams. Yeah. You might as well just throw in the sea route to Ceylon in there. Yeah, because half of the stuff that they want to do already exists, has already been built for years, because they've done all of this at the last minute. I know this is like centrist to be like, oh, we checked the government's homework and they spelled potato with like five E's somehow, right? But like, genuinely, it's absolutely shambolic. Well, I said this about the integrated rail plan two years ago. This is even worse than, and that document was widely panned as being just error-ridden and, and wrong. This is even worse, because this is a webpage that they have subsequently deleted because it was that. They've deleted the webpage where all these announcements were on. Um, thankfully, everyone has obviously got a web archive got there, PDFs have been made, so on and so forth. 
this thing, as you say, spelling errors, loads of projects that already exist. They've already reneged on one of the projects that's on the list. So there are a load of local politicians, local Tory politicians up in the northeast of England going, they're going to open the Leamside line. Fantastic. Um, and then obviously uh, <laughs> that was uh, an announcement saying, oh, yeah, unfortunately, no, we, we'll review, we, we'll undertake a review and a feasibility study into whether we might open that. Uh, so that's obviously been completely lost. Every, I'm just going to reiterate, this is a list of projects. They've called it Network North. Half the projects are in the south of England, uh, including like the M5, famously a northern motorway. Um, well, yeah, yeah, just, the, just drive. Just motorways. drive. Just fucking drive everywhere. Get the in your inter- police car that we gave you and <laughs> drive to like Manchester if you want to get there. Yeah, I refer listeners to I refer listeners to the last time I was on and Milo's rant about what uh, you can and cannot do. Yeah, no, this is a list of projects of which seventy are road projects, and th- there are maybe a scattering of, of of public transport projects of which every single one is either already built, has already been announced, is something they previously cancelled and are now reannouncing, or it's actually a contraction of a previous project that they've that, that's currently being worked on. For example, I've, I've alluded to earlier, happening between Manchester and Leeds, the Trans-Pennine route upgrades, long delayed, it was supposed to be electrification that was finished years and years ago. They're basically now changing the name of that to say that it's a new high-speed line, um, which obviously then gives the excuse to then cancel that thing, which is a, a project that's actually happening. So it's just Incredible. appalling. One of the things we talk about when we talk about UK investment, we talked about this with um, uh, Roz and Liam on the reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete thing, is that so much of the UK's um, sort of building projects tend to just be rebadging the same pot of yep, money depending yep. on who's looking at it. 100%. Uh, and you know, you wonder why things rarely get done. It's because the whole point is to just kind of make sure you can keep rebadging the same pot of money for another sort of few days. Um, and, and, and then you, know, you, can, you can make it seem like you're doing something. So, so really many, not. so many management consultants, like business leaders, all this stuff, go on and on about. Oh, no. Why can't you know? Why why do we struggle to deliver civil engineering infrastructure in in this country? Why do we deliver this? Why do we do? This? You know, I've been on, I've been in the Transport Select Committee, I've been in the UK Twenty Seventy Commission in, in Parliament talking about this and all the waffle. And it's there's a fairly straightforward answer to this, which is all of, and this is again, this is stuff you guys have been saying for years. All of the UK's institutions are designed around ensuring nothing happens. Mm. It's not that they're designed to, you know, ideally you would have some level of institutional infrastructure based around trying to make something happen, but everything is designed to make sure that nothing happens. And I'm not just being kind of flippant on this, you know, when it comes down to like something as simple as, oh, we've we've done a bit of work to the track, we need to adjust the platform to make sure that it's still accessible again for people to get on and off trains. And I have been in meetings where tens of thousands of pounds have been spent with the expensive people sat, you know, 30 people sat around in a meeting room um, in wet, you know, Waterloo General Offices discussing how little of the platform they're going to adjust and how we can, oh, we can just tweak, you know, just adhere to that bit of standard by the letter to avoid having to do that, you know, make the train more accessible. You know, the effort, the institutional energy that goes into making sure we don't do anything is staggering. It does like really reflect and I'm like, you know, it, it, it does it does really affect like building, I think, at every level as well. And I don't know, I, I like obviously with like the kind of caveat that I may be projecting, but I've heard enough anecdotes uh, to sort of suggest that this actually might be a broader phenomenon. But even when you're sort of talking to like a lot of building, like builders, land, like landlords in particular and stuff, like the kind of culture of doing as little as possible to not really address the problem uh, and then expecting to be thanked for that 
seems to kind of be like endemic into the much broader like into like the culture more broadly and well, i do wonder whether like they sort of inform the other like the idea that like well you know you shouldn't expect like your home to be livable right you should yeah. expect the materials to just like not set on fire and then like that kind of having impact on these like broader expectations of like well you shouldn't expect to be able to like travel to other cities even if it is sort of fundamental to like the economy like the most insane stuff about this is kind of it like feels like there are these sort of like internal all these sort of inherent contradictions right the idea that like you should be able to get to work on time but also nothing's going to work and everything's going to be really expensive and if you don't get to work on time then like your livelihood is going to be at risk but also like these are all because of forces that you can't control and also like you should be able to handle everything in your household and like be carers at points but like everything, all the infrastructure around you is going to like prevent you from doing that. I guess like it is an extension of like, you know, the Milo guy who sort of like tells you to drive everywhere, but also nothing yeah. is kind of capable to be driven on. But it does, does feel like- Don't drive anywhere! It, don't drive into the town! <laughs> it, just, it just feels like so, like, I don't know. I, I, I think about this a lot and I'm just like, this is like when I'm sort of trying to figure out why are people, why does it feel, feel that people are sort of going more insane- like more recently i do kind of wonder whether it's because these contradictions are becoming a lot more apparent in a way that as everything falls apart like you know the best example of this being like the guy where who like just insists on or like has to drive everywhere because there are no other options for him but where that drive used to only take like an hour and a half but there wouldn't be any traffic now takes three hours because like so much infrastructure like so much of like the derelict yeah. infrastructure means that you can't actually do this thing that you're being told to do while also being told never to expect anything better. Well, super, 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 super briefly, Hussein, you're absolutely spot on, and it ties into some of the you know, it ties into some of the kind of the new labour kind of um, end of history stuff that we create a load of bodies that are you know the wonderful independent arbiters that cannot be they're they're untouchable um, to kind of so even you know even HS2 itself has been delivered by an arm's length body HS2 Limited that's a government body but it's an arm's length body you know unimpeachable and and it's all these organ and it's the same even you know we talked about network rail modern inverted commas modernisation and, and the changes to staffing I spoke to the, the now retiring um, leads, you know, Her Majesty's or his RIP, um, Majesty's inspector, the, the, the chief person in charge of safety on the railways. And I asked him the question, how have you assessed that all of these changes, all these staffing changes are not going to impact on safety on the railway? And he said, well, we have all these systems and, and processes that ensure that you go through and, and none of these changes are actually going to have an impact. Like, yeah, but how that doesn't that, no that. That you're assuming that those processes are going to be followed, that those processes are robust. They're not. They're not. They can easily be swung to the 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 whims of the organisation and what's happening. All of these organisations are assumed to be just acting in benign interest. But as we've talked about, as soon as you have maniacs in charge, it all just collapses. It all falls to one side. You're spot on, Hussein. Well, I, I think if if I want to sort of think about where this comes from, right? It's the the decision that the of what the UK decided it was going to be after the sort of energy crisis of the 1970s destroyed Fordism, which is that we decided we were going to be a service provider, a manager, an owner, an investor, right? And then, and we, and the government is set up to mirror these things and serve yeah. those interests. So of course, we're going to build a railway like a hedge fund would build a railway. Yeah. Or a manager would build a rail. We're not building a railway like a railway builder would build a railway, right? We are, you're trying to, 
You're arranging a portfolio of people yeah. of people who can uh, provide you the asset. And it's like, no, 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 you're, you're building a railway. You need to have a person who can build a rail. Mm. Uh, and, and part yeah. of this, right, is the is the fact that the a lot of the British state got de-skilled in that process. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's, it's that the, the, we no longer, it's tried to say, you know, we, we no longer hire railway builders because we, we hire people who are generalists who we think can kind of manage whatever. And then they're okay, go off and hire the railway builders, but no one really, and that they hire companies that also don't have railway builders. And at some, how many layers of, of management do you get to before you hire a railway builder? Well, like you, you've got and to have look- a lot because that's all a combination of like Tory donors and like SMEs yeah. that are propping up the numbers for the economy. Uh, yeah, 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 and absolutely. sort of like entrepreneurism, like, and every sector of the economy is like this. If you, uh, like, generally, this is the poly crisis, right? If you go, why is it impossible to get X built? The answer is always because we have added 50 layers of middlemen in order to try and guarantee that, like, uh, the economy looks like it's growing, business yeah, activity yeah. is happening, and you have a few rich cunts at the top who like the Tories. Yeah, it's, 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 it's what we have done is is created a kind of set of um, it's it's a bit like uh, the Web three crypto economy. It's designed to look like a real economy yeah. to have lots of moving <laughs> yeah. parts lots and things that interact bits together here and there that, yeah, that yeah. look fancy and snazzy. Yeah, no, yeah. Not to get too Baudrillard yeah. about this, but you could honestly just stop building HS two, gaslight everyone, lie and say it's still going, and ask them not to check. It would have much the same effect. That's kind of what they are doing, to be honest, Alice. <laughs> oh, kind of, so, Jesus so I mean, you, Christ. Yeah, I, I know. It's 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 deeply frustrating. You you um, there, the last time the UK built any major strategic infrastructure was the motorway network, right? Hmm. Now, how was the motorway network delivered? There was a broad strategic plan set up by central government and the regional councils, councils that were big, Selneck, all these massive, powerful councils, delivered it themselves with their road building units. That's how we built the motorway network. It was not built, you know, okay, we added a few extra bits in, in, in kind of neoliberal years, but the majority of it was built by the state at scale. They brought contractors in to support them for sure, but it was led by the regional road building units that you, you so exactly as Alice, you said, you, you didn't have hundreds of layers of middle managers. It was essentially done at a regional level. So you didn't have the central government meddling, but the central government set the overall broad strategy, the regions delivered it, and we ended up with you know, the motorway network that we can't imagine not having anymore. We we will never be able to build HS2 without basically getting back to a structure more like that. So uh, I think that probably wraps it wraps it up nicely for now. Yeah, no more trains. That, it's done. It's yeah. over. <laughs> you, if you want to get a train, fuck you. Yeah, except to say that um, part of the uh, plan to plan for motorists is going to be uh, investing £70 million pounds um, to invest in AI technology. <laughs> oh, so, to so you're a podcaster, right? And you work yeah. in Glasgow, and maybe sometimes you also work in London, and you don't drive. You know what you've got to do then? You've got to get a fucking kayak and start paddling. <laughs> <laughs> don't what worry, if, Alice. What the if, AI is going to fix it. What, what if? Yeah. Just because we're doing TF Business Circle here, right? Get a bunch of cars. <laughs> get a bunch of cars. Uh, you connect them with like a chain. Um, <laughs> okay, yes. okay. Yeah. I'm listening. Then, I'm listening. And then, and then you pick up people uh in between like different cities and you take them to specific destinations but you can even pick people up from the wider nate buffet universe so you could you you could pick up kind of other passengers Mm. uh, you could call them say yeah uh, within this chain of cars it's an interesting Mm -hmm. you could get like one guy who like wears a formal suit and like a bow tie and serves you snacks at your midway point. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think maybe we can make this more efficient by having like a dedicated lane for it. 
so it's not interfering with other traffic. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, then, like and then we could run them closer together by blocking that lane off into segments and having signals. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, if, and if you're running it kind of on the same route, it might wear the tires out. So maybe if you like put something more hard wearing, like steel. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Onto yeah. like a steel, maybe like a steel, a, a pair of steel sort of rods in a no. line. No, no, no. I think yeah. what we should do is the AI thing instead. Um, <laughs> all that is to say. Uh, Gareth, <laughs> what a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on and making us sort of so excited to get the last train in Britain, which will occur probably in our lifetimes. Uh, yes, yeah. It's been, it's been a pleasure. This has been catharsis. It's like a therapy. Thank, thank you for allowing me to just sort of like cry down the microphone um, for, <laughs> yeah, for, for the benefit of your listeners. I'm so sorry, everyone. And don't forget, <laughs> there is a second episode every week. It is $5 a month on Patreon to subscribe. There is usually a stream on Mondays and Thursdays as well from 9 to 11. There's Left mm. on Red. There's Britonology. There's more of those at the $10 level if you're so inclined. So with all of that being said, once again, thank you, Gareth. Thank you to our wonderful patrons. Thank you to my wonderful co-hosts. Uh, check out Rail Natter on YouTube if you want to see more of Gareth. And we will see you on the bonus episode in a few short days. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.